I wonder how many of you have run a marathon before. I know a handful of you have uh, been um, marathoners, and even I know we have at least one ultra marathoner in our midst. Uh, but uh, some of you know the Boston Marathon, if we can pull up that next slide, is grueling because of its legendary obstacle. So what happens is starting at about mile 13, there's multiple hills throughout this marathon, culminating in mile 19, which is called Heartbreak Hill. It is the longest and the steepest, this half-mile incline, struggling against gravity. But that's not the real problem. The real problem for any of you who are runners, you know that right around, say, about mile 18 or 19, even world-class runners have this experience called hitting the wall, which means right about mile 18 or 19, that's when your body has depleted all the glycogen, all the sugar that you've stored up in your body for energy. And if that's about mile 18 or 19, how long is a marathon? 26 miles, right? And so what happens is once that glycogen is depleted out of your body, it's replaced with lactic acid, and your muscles are screaming for oxygen, and your legs start to feel like they're turning into concrete. And so with only a handful of miles to go, you're right in the home stretch. It would be very easy for you to break down and give up at Heartbreak Hill. And I want to propose to you that you and I, no matter if you've been a Christian for a day or forever, or you're not a Christian yet, that none of our lives are on level ground. There are multiple hills that happen in your life, and there are definitely times when we face our own heartbreak hill. And so when you and I hit the wall, it's not just physical exhaustion. There are times that we may feel mentally, emotionally, and spiritually run down as well by the circumstances around us. But then a day like today comes, Easter comes, and we're reminded through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that there is hope. And so the message this morning is for you, a message for anyone who's ever been tired of life, tired of the hits that you keep on taking, that there's hope in the resurrection of Christ. If you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to Isaiah chapter 40. If not, don't worry about it. We're going to put the passage up on the big screen. But maybe you've never read the book of Isaiah before, and we're already jumping all the way to chapter 40. The first 39 chapters are this. Here's a quick summary. There was a time that God's people felt pretty run down. They had hit the wall in many ways. And they kept choosing anyone or anything other than God to give them relief, to relieve their run-down state, but those all turn out to be poor substitutes. And finally, they turn to a political superpower of their time, Babylon, to be their Lord and Savior, but then Babylon comes in and marches in as their Lord and conqueror, exiling their best, crushing the rest, taking away all of their future, their hopes, and their dreams. First 39 chapters of Isaiah. But then chapter 40 rises like the dawn a prophetic message of hope that there's a time coming when war will end, when sins will be forgiven, when valleys of despair will be lifted up and mountains of pride will be laid low, for God is coming to us. So prepare yourselves. Prepare the way. And as we land here in verse 27, 
perhaps there's hope and help for run-down people just like you and me. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Let's stop right there for a moment. So in verse 27, we see that God's people at this point in history, they're so run down by the captivity that they're suffering that they're wondering aloud, God, are you aware? Do you even care about our situation? And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. You feel so exhausted by your life that you start questioning, does God notice me? Does God care about me? Has he turned his back on? And you may not feel that at this particular moment, but in verse 30, it says that even when you're young, when your mind and body are strong, when your future is full of potential, the reality is that there are times everyone, young or old, no matter the number of tears or fears or whatever you've experienced in this light under your belt, that everyone grows faint and weary. Everyone gets run down. It's that sinking feeling that I'm barely keeping my head above water but all I see ahead of me are the rising waves of ongoing anxieties and responsibilities. And so I want to start off this morning by asking you, where are you feeling run down by life? And I want to suggest that there are three particular areas that you might want to take an honest look at. Number one, how are you feeling mentally run down? That picture of crises and constant pressure that makes us feel like we are ground down and worn out until we lay down and give up. It's that parent who's trying to keep up with the bills, that student who cannot keep up with their schoolwork. It's trying to raise a kid. It's wrestling with long-term care of a family member or your own long-term illness. It's those mounting deadlines and demands so that you feel overworked and overwhelmed, mentally run down. Relationally, the truth is this is probably the pain that chips away deepest at most people's souls. Perhaps you're single and wish that you were married. Or perhaps you are married and wish you were single. Because the reality is that many of us thought that marriage would solve our problems in life, but it tends to happen that both of us bring baggage into the relationship and then blame the other person for our expectations and frustrations. Some of you wish that you could start a family. Some of you wish that you could get along with the family that you already have. And some of us feel like we are constantly alone, even when we're in a crowd. It's draining. Relationally, you may feel dry. You may feel run down. And then you may conclude that well, you know what, all these circumstances of my life, it's just a matter of determination and grit. If I grit my teeth and just press onwards, I can get through this until the next time, and then the time after that, 
and then it keeps coming. When is this going to end? And so we have a tendency to give up and give in to escapes to deal with our stress. You may binge your shows on Netflix. You may binge the games that you like to play. You're glued to your phone or your fantasy team, and you're pouring yourself into the treasures and pleasures of this world. Now, I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with taking a break, nothing wrong with enjoying life, but like the Israelites in this passage, you may end up spiritually run down because you're replacing Jesus with all these coping strategies that cannot ultimately fulfill you, not for long. And when the distractions, when they're no longer enough, you may start to turn towards darker things, filling the void by feeding your appetite and addictions, but you will pay a high price and some of you know what that feels like because of sin in your life. You've wrecked the car of your life. You've wrapped it around the metaphorical telephone pole that's left you spiritually crippled. And so you walk away limping in life, limping away from Jesus because there's pleasure in sin for a season, but everyone has to wake to the reality of the morning after. And I want to ask you if that is you this morning. If you've been running too hard, too fast, for too long, if you're constantly left exhausted and empty and unsatisfied, today is your morning after, the dawn of a better day. So how does God respond to all this? In verse 28, he says, don't you know who I am, who you can turn to? Haven't you heard about me? I'm not just an abstract concept, a religious crutch, a figment of people's imagination. He's everlasting. That means he's not surprised by your situation or your circumstances in your life, in the world. Yesterday, today, and forever are under his watch and in his hands. He is the creator, it says in verse 28. That means he's not just a little bit smarter or a little bit stronger than you. The most intellectual, most powerful people on the planet were fashioned by his hand. Cannot fathom his understanding. Cannot thwart his plans because everyone and everything are made by him. And because he is eternal and creator, that means he never grows tired or weary. That means his energy, his attention are unlimited, overflowing as a vast source of power available for us. That Jesus, as the Son of God, never gets run down. And with an empty tomb, he declares, not even death itself can keep me down. Verse 29, it says, the same God who does not get weary or faint, gives power to the weak and the faint. How does he do that? Here's the key verse, verse 31. Let's read it together. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What does that mean, to wait on the Lord? When you're waiting for someone, that's a position of dependence. I'm depending on you. I'm depending on you to come through. I'm depending on your timing to show up. It's a humility to allow them to dictate the terms. So it's a position of dependence as you submit yourself to their rescue. And it's also a position of confidence that I have this 
full anticipation that the Savior is coming for me, a full expectation that he has power to help us. And we find that this passage, this prophecy, 700 years after Isaiah wrote it, the wait is over. Because the Son of God came as a king. He dies in our place for our sin. And then on the third day, rose as our Savior. And here's the kicker. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 tells us, that same power that God exerted to raise Christ from the dead is available for all of us who believe in him today. Did you catch that? That same resurrection power, that power that God exerted to raise the Son of God himself from the dead is available in our lives. Not just after you die. Some of us think of following Jesus as fire insurance, that somehow my eternal life is I die and I get a ticket to heaven. But Ephesians 1, 19-20 tells us it's not just after you die, but for the day-to-day challenges of our lives if we place our trust and our lives in Him. And so we see that the resurrection of Christ is both hope for eternal life in Christ tomorrow, but it's also strength for life in Christ today. And so you can keep trying to overcome your obstacles of life through your sheer willpower. But isn't that exactly what got you so run down in the first place? Instead of trying to drive against the storm of circumstances and sin in your life with your limited ability and capability, when you're run down by life, you and I can turn to Jesus in dependence, in confidence, so that he can lift us up to soar. Some of us, the obstacles in our lives are too big. The chasm is too wide, and that pit ahead of us is too deep. And what the Word of God here says is that if you turn to Jesus, He lifts your wings like an eagle to soar over them. Some of us, you're in a season where you need to run. The hits and the busyness come quick, and you're not sure how are you supposed to keep up with them. And what the Word of God says is that Jesus helps us to run and not be weary. And some of us, we actually just need to slow down. You're exhausted, and yet you cannot ignore the daily responsibilities of your life, but you're barely dragging your feet forward. And what God says is, Jesus helps us to walk and not be faint. Now, what this doesn't mean is, it doesn't mean that Jesus kind of waves away our problems and our pressure. It does mean that he gives us strength to walk, to run, to soar over the wind and the waves that are wearing us down. So what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives? Did you know that an albatross can actually circumnavigate the entire globe? We're talking about making a round trip around the world in about 46 days. And in fact, They can travel about 10,000 miles in a single journey. And here's the kicker, almost without expending any energy. They stay aloft without flapping their wings, whether the wind is with them or against them. How? 
I want to tell you, this confounded scientists for so many years until they had done enough studies and done enough observations, they discovered that there's this process that albatrosses do called dynamic soaring. So what happens is when a strong wind comes, instead of resisting it or trying to flap against it, they will angle their wings to catch that wind, causing them to accelerate upwards and soar about 30 to 50 feet in the air without exerting any energy. And then they turn and then ride that same wind downwards to gain additional speed, swooping down close to the waves. Instead of it being something that's a danger to them, they head directly towards it, using the power of the wind under them. And by repeating this process again and again and again, they're able to travel literally thousands of miles without flapping their wings, without expending their own energy, without getting run down. When you are battered by the wind and the waves, angle your wings and your life towards Jesus. In Matthew 11, Jesus has a promise for you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he continues to talk about, sometimes we think that following Jesus means I have to do all these religious things and take all this burden on myself. No, he says, for my burden is light, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I will give you rest for your soul. Okay, that's interesting thought. Nice to see that birds can do something amazing. How does that apply to humans? Let's go back to the Boston Marathon. There are more painful things in life than Heartbreak Hill. April 15th, 2013, Rebecca Gregory, a Christian woman, was waiting at the finish line with her five-year-old son. They were just there to support a friend who was actually running the Boston Marathon. When the first homemade bomb detonated, just three feet away from her. Her legs took the majority of the impact, protecting her son from fatal injury. And here's what she has to say. What I saw that day was people's body parts on the ground next to us. Bones lay on the sidewalk, blood, nails. I was pinned to the ground. My left leg was on fire, lying in a pool of my own blood. I thought for sure I was going to die wondering if I would ever see my child smile again. I praise the Lord for his mercy. Her son was out of the hospital in about five days. Unfortunately, her own injuries were much more extensive. After 17 surgeries and over 60 procedures, they couldn't save all of her body. They had to amputate her left leg. Question for you. How do you get back up when your life has literally been blown to pieces? And yet, as she struggled with the physical and the emotional pain, she says every day for the next 730 days, she said, I had to make a choice. Here's what she says, in my story and in yours, strength rises and falls with challenges that lead us either closer to Jesus, or draw us away from him. That's a good word. When suffering and stress come into your life, do you allow it to pull you away from Jesus or drive you towards Jesus? Two years later, 
she returned to the Boston Marathon in 2015. Not to watch, but to run the race. She says, I went back to that same pavement on Boylston Street that I thought for sure I was going to die. But this time, I won't be laying on the ground in pieces. This time, the only thing hitting the ground will be my running shoe. And we see this emotional photo of her crossing the finish line on a prosthetic leg. She says, people ask me, what is your secret? And what I tell them is that trusting that God has control, even as you face obstacles, asking how Jesus wants me to look at life, finding that God doesn't wave my problems away. What he does is far greater. He puts strength back into my leg when it would otherwise fail me. He deflects my despair. He protects me from the terror of struggling alone. He has shown me a better path. There is no secret to it. The power of Christ alone sustained my strength. What do we call that? Dynamic soaring. As the wind of circumstances blew fiercest against her, she angles her wings in prayer and dependence, in confidence towards Jesus, lifting her spirits and her strength upward far greater than the circumstances. And then she rides the wind of Jesus' presence and power to face those waves so that she can walk and run and soar over and over again. Rebecca completed her race. And the question is, how will you? Where do you need a lift from Jesus this morning? And I wonder what would happen if you were to turn your wings towards him. That instead of leaving the same way you came, what if you asked the resurrection power of God to breathe life into a specific area where you are run down mentally, relationally, spiritually? I wonder what it would be like if you prayed and found that Jesus was answering you. So we're going to just take a few moments after the message, during the next song, I want you to take a moment to come before the risen Christ and maybe receive something that you've needed for a long time. If there's areas where you're feeling run down and willing to bring before him and allow him through the resurrection of Christ to lift you up. And for some of you, it's come down to whether or not you have ever really asked the risen Christ to pay for your sin, to be Lord over your life, to begin the miraculous journey of eternal and abundant life in Christ now. And so I want to challenge you. Some of you need to make the most important decision of your life on this most important day in all of history. You see, Jesus got up from the grave so that today, by his grace, you can get up too, renewed by his strength, so that instead of being run down by your life, you can soar with this king. And we're gathered here because we believe in the resurrection. We hang on to the promise that the same resurrection power that kicked out the door on a borrowed tomb, that raised Christ from the dead, that upset all of history that turned our world upside down and turns our lives right side up has come to us today. And it's available to people who are 
bold enough and humble enough to ask Jesus and his strength to come into our lives, who by faith take a step and open ourselves up to the power of God. And many cynics will tell you, it'll never happen. But I want to tell you that greater things have happened on this day. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the resurrection of Christ, that it is not just a footnote in history, but your power at work today. That if we are humble enough to have even a tiny seed of faith to believe that your presence and power can help us, that you will. And so we ask that you would speak to our hearts as we sit quietly in this moment, as we meditate on this next song, that there would be something of faith moving in us. That even in our doubts, we can bring something to your altar, to your table. And with confidence, independence, experience the living God. And so we trust you and praise you for the greatest display of love and hope and victory in all of history at the cross and empty tomb. That we too might take hold of the life that is truly life today. help us to take a quiet moment with you because we want to leave knowing this Easter we trusted you for something. We asked by faith for your presence and power to come into our lives, our difficulty, or our despair in a very real way. May we meet the God of resurrection who gives us strength to walk to run, to soar. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray.